0: Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is a place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources that remind you you're not alone. In this episode, number 234, I have the pleasure of bringing back one of y'all's favorites, Paul David Tripp.
1: What the cross teaches me is that there's nothing that could ever be known, revealed, or exposed in me that hasn't already been covered by the blood of Jesus. Mm. And that belief then allows me to lay down my defenses. I'm free from the burden of self defensiveness. I'm free for the burden of trying to convince you that I'm righteous. I'm free from all of that. That stuff is burdensome. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is good things are on the other side of confession. And if you establish, rather than defending your righteousness, if you establish a relationship of confession and forgiveness, good things happen. Because the the legacy of confession and forgiveness is I walk away from that conversation thinking good things of you. How humble my husband was. How forgiving my wife was. Mm -hmm. How ready this person is to love me when I'm not very lovable. That endears that person to me.
0: Y'all have heard Paul before, and you love how he's helped us understand the gospel and how it applies to parenting. Go check out those episodes. They're in the show notes if you haven't heard them before. Today, we're focusing in on marriage. Personally, I have been burdened by listener questions and our community and just seeing the attack on marriage and understanding personally the pressure our marriages are under when we have young kids. And so I'm hopeful that this conversation will point us to the truth of God's word. And, you know, any person who's been married as long as Paul has and as happy as their marriage is, I'm ready to listen. I don't know about y'all. We talk about what if you are the one spouse who wants to work on your marriage? And Paul drops a little truth bombs here and there about that. We also wanted to bring up the topic that, of course, whenever we talk about marriage, if abuse is at all a part of your story, please reach out to your local community, a pastor, a friend, uh, someone to come up with a plan so that you can help uh, stay safe and allow God to do his restoration. We do not want to encourage anyone to stay in an unsafe environment. Paul has even shared with me how while he was a pastor, they would often have uh, one spouse living in their home while working through a plan for restoration or whatever God had. He said it's not a one size fits all solution, so you definitely need to know, have people who know you and who know what's going on and and are reaching out to God for wisdom in those scenarios. Okay, just want to make sure we are on the same page there. This conversation is focusing in on forming healthy. Habits and uprooting those things that are choking out the life and the love in our marriages—great stuff. If it's not enough for you today, I have great news. Paul recorded a four-session marriage conference that you can get access to with a streaming license. All you do is go to dotmamaalone forward slash marriage, and you can check it out. And as a dotmamaalone listener, you get five dollars off with the coupon code five off. It's such a great tool. If you're looking for a curriculum for a small group or a Sunday school class, or even a church-wide event, you get access to it through the end of 2019. So plenty of time to plan ahead. Remember, go to domamalone.com forward slash marriage. Use that coupon code five off. All right, let's get to my chat with Paul. Here we go. Hey, Paul, welcome back to the show.
1: It's good to be with you again.
0: I mean, I think you might be the most popular guest. <laughs> I'm just gonna say the numbers don't lie
1: I just say what I think I need and I figure if I do other people do too
0: uh, I think you're right and and I, like I've said before when we've chatted there's a rootedness in biblical truth that keeps us grounded and then there's an application to everyday life that makes that truth have feet and move and mm. walk and mm. we get to apply it instead of just having the knowledge and not living from a place of knowing so i am grateful that you do that for us that you interpret that for us and you and i talk about parenting a lot but this time we're going to marriage okay and i know you know this because how long have you been married now
1: 47 years Woo! if people are trying to calculate my age (laughs) i was married at seven that's good
0: my son asked me this morning, "How old is Paul David Tripp?" I said, "I don't know. I'm probably twenty. I don't know." <laughs> That's right. Um, but forty-seven years, a lot of life happens, and the amount of time that kids were in your home in those forty-seven years was a portion. So we need to go there, and the world is trying to steal and destroy marriages. The enemy uh, is trying to cause division, and so I'm grateful to have this chat over the course of our lives, those 47 years, there are probably major milestones come to mind. Dramatic. Mm. You had health issues, I know. Yep. At one point. Absolutely. But you also point out that there are thousands of little moments. Can you expound on that for us?
1: You know, uh, I always think of this when the the new year comes because people make new year's resolutions and I'm not actually against that, but, I don't think that that's actually the way we live in sort of big, grand moments, big, grand commitments. Most of us live in the utterly mundane, Mm -hmm. Uh, little unremarkable moments, little conversations here and there, little actions, reactions, responses, little thoughts, little attitudes. And so a marriage is not formed by two or three big, dramatic moments A marriage is formed by thousands and thousands of little moments. Let let me give you an illustration how we can get in trouble in those little moments. So it's just a little moment in a marriage where a husband and wife have a disagreement. And they say rather mean and unkind things to one another. And then they walk away. Mm. The husband walks down the hallway and he says to himself, that was just a little moment. She knows I love her. And the wife says, you know. That was really tough, but we love one another. And so because they name it as a little moment, they don't go back to one another and say, look, it's okay for us to disagree, but the way we handled that disagreement was unkind, it was mean. Because if you have a hundred of those, your marriage is going to be in trouble.
2: Hmm.
1: Because you're going to quit talking to one another. You're going to quit trusting one another. Now, what I would say about that moment that moment, that little unremarkable moment, is profoundly important precisely because that's the address where my marriage lives.
2: Hmm.
1: It lives in all those kinds of kinds of moments. If uh, three or four times you walk away from me in the middle of a important conversation, I will begin to wonder if you really do love me. And so it's important for us to place whatever we say about marriage not in those big, grand, dramatic moments that people tend to talk about, but in those little moments. I want to say one other thing. Yeah. When you hit those dramatic moments, it's the character that you have built in your marriage that will determine how you'll handle the big moments. Mm. In other words, the, the kind of relationship you've built in those little moments will structure your ability, your inability to do good things when the big dramas hit.
0: Yeah, I I can attest to that. I know you learned that probably from personal experience. And I know we're going to get into that. Like, how do we do that? That would be the next question. How do we build a healthy character in our marriage? Where does that start?
1: So the the illustration that I use, uh, and I will use it in the live stream, is a marriage is a lot like a garden. Maybe it's best to step back and sort of helicopter view. What's a biblical view of a marriage? Well, it's a sinner married to a sinner Mm -hmm. in a fallen world. Are you encouraged yet? Uh, (laughs) but But with a faithful God. Now, that means we can't just coast in our marriage because there are things inside of me and things inside of my wife that are potentially destructive to marriage because we're not perfect people yet. And we live in a fallen world that is a threat to our marriage. So I think planting is a garden is a real helpful illustration. When you decide you want to have a vegetable garden or a beautiful flower garden, the first thing you have to do is clear the land. You have to make that land exclusively now set apart for that purpose. That's sort of like the exclusivity of a marriage. Hmm. And then you you plant seeds, and those are the good things you're going to do to invest in the growth and development of that relationship. And then you water those seeds with, again, some good habits. But that's not enough. You can't do that and walk away. Anybody who's done that with a vegetable or flower garden gets neither flowers nor vegetables. <laughs>
0: I- I am that gardener.
1: (laughs) Because what happens is the minute you plant the seeds, you are committing yourself to daily work. Mm. Because there are corruptions floating around in the air and growing out of the ground that produce weeds that will choke the life out of those seeds that you've planted. And so you have to be going out to garden, identifying those weeds pulling them out, and you have to be committed to doing that so you give room for those good things to flourish and develop.
0: So I hear intention in, in setting up the marriage, intention there, intention in maintaining the marriage, not just letting it go, like assuming this is going to go well if we don't
1: tend to it. Absolutely, and, and I think what's behind that is that you will your marriage – will be structured by a set of habits, mm-hmm. either intentionally or unintentionally. Oh, okay. Because we're, we're habit-oriented human beings. I mean, God's designed us that way. If you had to rethink everything you do, <laughs> every time you do it, you wouldn't get much done. Right. So tying your shoe, which was a arduous, almost impossible thing, now you do without thinking. And that's what happens in a marriage. We get habits that become natural to us, and you want those to be good habits.
0: So what are some, what are some healthy, good habits that we can plant?
1: Well, So, so let me just give you a passage. In, in okay. Jeremiah, it's, God says, I've come to uproot and to plant.
0: Hmm.
1: I have come to tear down and to build. That's just a nice model. That's how God works. God says, what are the awful sinful things? That are destructive to the world that I made and to the creatures that I made. I want to pull those up. I want to tear those down. And what good things do I need to plant and to build? Let's let's talk about some weeds.
0: Okay, so pulling out first, so we can have space.
1: So first is is selfishness. Second mm. uh, Corinthians five fifteen says Jesus came. I, I love this little phrase because it's so helpful that those who live should no longer live for themselves. What sin does to all of us is make us self-focused, self-absorbed, self-oriented, self-ish in the real sense of what that needs. We all have the tendency to reduce the field of our concern down to the claustrophobic little confines of our wants, our needs, our feelings. This is so helpful to me. That means that sin in its fundamental form, is antisocial hmm. because I was meant to live in community, vertical community with God, horizontal community with other people. Sin turns me in on myself. Sin makes it all about me. Hmm. Sin makes me entitled and demanding, uh, impatient, critical, all those things. So my big problem in marriage is not your junk. My big problem in marriage is I carried into marriage something that's potentially destructive to that relationship and selfishness. Mm. And marriage is about a covenant of community. And so I have to constantly ask myself, what are the selfish instincts that are not productive to unity and understanding and love in marriage?
0: So I have a question for you. A lot of women listen to my show, probably like 95 percent. Few men might listen to this episode, but I have a feeling a majority of women uh, listening have done a lot of work, Bible study, intentional. They're they're mothers, so there's been a lot of shedding of self over the last few years. They're very aware of their selfishness and that they just want to sleep and this baby keeps waking them up but they're probably also very aware of of their spouse's selfishness and this desire to be like sure i get that i'm selfish i've been working on my selfishness but what about his and who's keeping him accountable and where where are the men to step up and say hey buddy you're only thinking about yourself here so what encouragement can you have or i mean i know this is about our part and i'm a sinner into the marriage and i need to work on my selfishness but what if We are in a community and we're seeking God on that, but we don't feel that our spouse is in that community and working on
1: that piece or aware of it. So this is probably going to freak out some people listening, but give me a chance (laughs) to explain.
0: There's your warning. You're about to freak out.
1: (laughs) You got to be careful that you don't have a selfish way of dealing with selfishness. No. So you're demanding and critical. Mm. Because that person's selfishness messes up your life. Mm. That's never going to produce good stuff in your marriage. That produces arguments and defensiveness. So I have to say, what is the reason for my concern for my husband? Is it just that I seem to be working harder than he does? Is it just that he makes my life uncomfortable? Or fasten your seatbelt here. Or do I look at him like God looks at him and I want what is best for him? And this is not best for him. You see, once you're there, then you ask the question, how can I be as a wife, part of what God wants to do in the life of my husband? And shockingly, this is so counterintuitive. It is for me, and I would imagine it is for I'm not alone, uh, (laughs) that we think being on a person is the way to get him to change. I'm just going to be on you. I'm going to point this thing out. I'm not going to let you get away with this stuff.
0: Like be their Holy Spirit is what we've yeah. said
1: before. Or, yeah, instilling a little bit of guilt
0: mm-hmm.
1: or reminding you how much more righteous I am than you.
0: Buying them a bunch of Paul David Tripp books <laughs> and leaving them on their bedside table. I mean, I might have done it. I might oh, have done man.
1: it. I plead with people. Uh, <laughs> Not to use my as book, a as, weapon. A, as a weapon, please
0: <laughs> No, but, but seriously, women will reach out to me. What podcast can my husband listen to? What yeah. Bible study can I get for him? So this is real. We desire to see that change. We, and it may be rooted in that. I know what I know that this is working for me, and I want that same change for my spouse.
1: So the Bible says this counterintuitive thing that it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Mm. That if God were only a judge, no one would ever run to him. No one. It's that he's a forgiver and a lover and a redeemer and amazingly gracious that gives me the confidence, maybe I can confess and it will be okay. That's what you want to be, be part of. And so you want to develop such a relationship of love and trust and understanding with your husband so that he begins to not need to defend himself in front of you anymore, because what he gets from you is grace and not judgment. Mm -hmm. Now, this is very important for me to say, grace never calls wrong right.
0: Right. Yeah, we do need to talk about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If wrong were right, there'd be no need for grace. Grace is a way of dealing with wrong. And so as you have wronged me, I move toward you not saying, buddy, I'm done with this. You're going to get the full uh, range of my wrath right now. I move toward you saying, God has exposed this to me because he wants me to be part of what he's doing. How can I be part of what God wants for my husband? Hmm. That's hard. But you have to ask the question, is the way that I'm handling the selfishness of my husband bearing the fruit that I'd like to see? If your way of dealing with it is not bearing fruit, how about trying another way? It's hard. And and one of the things that I think we don't want to face is you can't have an intimate relationship with an imperfect human being without being willing to make sacrifices. We just all will. That's why it's so important to have that work ethic. I know my desire to get married and my commitment to marriage is a commitment to the daily work necessary to make this marriage work. I want to say this because I want people to hear this. Hmm. I've been married for 47 years. We are still working on our marriage. There are still times when marriage is hard, Uh, we don't always get it right, but we have learned the the benefit of committing ourselves to good habits
0: i mean i think you read the bible you follow a couple of characters you see that time doesn't mean you can coast in anything i mean even david I mean, sin can creep up and character can waver over the course of time even if you've been a man after god's own heart i mean it's definitely takes tending
1: i think that uh word tending is is very very helpful i i, I want to um uh, just mention one other one other weed that I think is so important. Yeah. I don't want us to miss it. It's self-righteousness.
2: Mm.
1: My fear of admitting wrong, my desire to defend myself against charge. And part of that is that there's, a, there's an instinct in us to believe that we're way more righteous than we actually are.
2: Mm.
1: And I've got to fight that all the time. Now here's the gospel, I love, love, love this. What the gospel tells me is God knows every thought before I think it. He knows my words before I speak them. He's not surprised by any dark, idiotic, stupid, foolish thing I do, none of it. And yet he has offered me his forgiving and transforming grace. What the cross teaches me is that there's nothing that could ever be known, revealed, or exposed in me that hasn't already been covered by the blood of Jesus. Mm. And and that belief then allows me to lay down my defenses. I'm freed from the burden of self-defensiveness. I'm freed from the burden of trying to convince you that I'm righteous. I'm freed from all of that. That stuff is burdensome. Right. I mean, imagine how many couples will fight today on whether something was wrong or right hmm. when it was clearly wrong
2: hmm.
1: and and it gets angry and then they start dumping things that happened in the past and it just it just becomes a mess. How about saying I'm not righteous? Yeah. There's still bad things inside of me. Of course, I'm going to be impatient at moments. Of course, I'm going to say things I shouldn't say at moments. Of course, I'm going to be selfish at moments. Of course, I'm going to choose to be lazy rather than serve. I mean, all those things are true of me. They're still true of Paul Tripp. There are times I'm demanding rather than serving. To act like none of those things exist inside of me is just a delusion.
2: Mm.
1: And, And the beautiful thing about the gospel is good things are on the other side of confession. And if you establish... Rather than defending your righteousness, if you establish a relationship of confession and forgiveness, good things happen because the the legacy of confession and forgiveness is I walk away from that conversation thinking good things of you. How humble my husband was, how forgiving my wife was, how ready this person is to love me when I'm not very lovable, that endears that person to me. If we just had a conversation, we've defended our righteousness, you walk away and say, I can't talk to that person. That person's so arrogant. That was hurtful what happened. You're always building this legacy as a result of the way you deal with those things.
0: Very powerful. I think of the shame so many carry of this unworthiness. And so they can't handle any other labels of negativity because they already have an internal monologue of of that voice. And so for you to highlight, you know, it's okay. None of us have this all together. So in that moment, I can picture it just uh, stopping and saying, I'm sorry, I'm being selfish right now. I'm sorry, I'm being impatient. Uh, Will you forgive me? That's a powerful interaction that in in the intensity of a moment rarely happens.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: It's good to know it's out there as an option, right? We're throwing it out there as an option.
1: Yeah. And let me say two things about that then don't give way to the intensity of the moment.
0: Mm. Okay, talk through that.
1: So walk, say, I'm not turning my back on you, but this conversation is not going anywhere good. Go somewhere, get a hold of yourself, pray. Mm-hmm. Say, God, I'm, I'm raging crazy at this moment, help me. Yeah. And then go back at the conversation at a time where you have the better ability to do the things that are good. It's like, Going into a garden, you've looked out your window, and this garden that you are so excited about is weed laden, and you're ripping angry. Mm. You don't know what you're angry at, just earth at that point. <laughs> and you go out, and in anger, you start pulling weeds. I will guarantee you'll pull a lot of flowers in the process, right? Because you're out of control. So don't give don't give way to that. But I, I, I want to say something. You use this word shame. I want to say something. I think it's so beautiful, and is not talked about and taught enough. Jesus didn't just bear our guilt. He bore our shame. This is the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. This is the great creator. This is the one who's sovereign over all things, who willingly hung naked in a public setting, numbered, associated with criminals, and virtually powerless at that moment. That is a physical picture that I carry your shame. Hmm. So you don't have to cowl in shame any longer. I've taken it. I've put myself in the most shameful place possible for you so that shame will no longer be your master. It's a beautiful thing. The willingness of my Lord to do that, I can't talk about without being emotional. Hmm. Because it's so liberating, enough of shame, enough of hiding, enough of afraid of being looked at reality, enough of being kidnapped by what people think of me and fear of failure and all those things. Jesus did what he did so we could be liberated for those things. Because once you're liberated, then you can deal with the real stuff that's there, that if it stays there, will not produce a good marriage.
0: Ooh, yeah. Yes. Gospel right there. Always bringing it back.
1: Well, oh, yeah. And, and what you have to do, I, I mean, I should have said this in the beginning. What you have to do is interrupt your private conversation with the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're angry. That, that
0: monologue that's telling you, uh, maybe it's telling you that person's so wrong. That person, I can't believe they, 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 to stop and say, where's my part? Is that what you're saying?
1: Or or I'm powerless. Mm. And you say, I'm not powerless. Or... You give away to the shame of. I'm
2: not
1: so, worthy. So yeah. give me an example. The, the shame of marriage struggle. You are afraid that people around you, your church or friends, will know how much your marriage is a struggle. That shame will keep you from dealing with your marriage. Right. We're the only ones with marriage issues, right? Sure. So instead of confessing, you'll hide. Instead of getting help, you'll try to solve things that you can't solve on your own. So you have to interrupt those conversations with what? God says is really true about you.
0: Oh my goodness. Okay. Where are we going to go next? Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> so many things. Um, I do have some questions from people, but I, I also love that you're gonna talk about unity in marriage is not the same as uniformity. And um seeing our differences, I was thinking about that even in this conversation of a of a conflict and going and taking time before you respond so you're not Responding with anger. I know people have different opinions about the Enneagram. We just had an episode with Suzanne Stabile and whatever. But she brought up this aggressive stance that some people take or this withdrawn stance or this dependent stance. And so I've seen that in my kids and in my, in my own house where one of us wants to pursue and solve and go after it. And the other one needs more time to have an awareness, even in our differences in how we approach conflict and have grace for that. Um, I'm sure I don't know if that's what you were talking about with the unity, but I I do think there are so many different aspects to this. You mentioned several. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a little bit so we can get a little help to people who are seeing differences and think that means their marriage is
1: wrong. Two things that sort of are foundational. There is no call anywhere in the Bible to uniformity. Mm -hmm. Uniformity is sameness. There's no call to force sameness on on one another. What the call is, is to unity. Now, this Mm. is very interesting. Unity is only ever needed in the face of difference.
0: Right, right.
1: And so what unity does, it, it expects differences. And surely they're there in marriage. So let me do the second thing. Root this in what the Bible has to say. You could ask the question, why am I so different from my spouse. And there's the Bible gives three answers to that, and they're all rooted in God. First, because God's a creator, and the God who made lilies made rocks. Yeah. The God who makes uh, elephants made hummingbirds. Hmm. You look around creation, you say the expanse uh, of his creativity is astounding. And so the range of what it means to be human is just astounding. You can even see that in your children. They come from the same gene pool, and yet two brothers will be totally different than one another. Right. That's evidence of a creator. Second thing, God's sovereign. I don't actually write my own story. The Bible says he determines the exact place where I live and the exact length of my days. And so I become the product of all the locations, all the influences, all the cultures, all the relationships, all the mentors, all the workplaces that have helped nurture me. So because your your story was different and then my story is and God wrote us to a point where we're now together, of course there's going to be differences. Differences in instinct, differences in way of doing things, differences in thinking—of course. I mean, my marriage is a great example of that. Luella was raised in Cuba.
0: Hmm.
1: I was raised in the white bread boredom of Toledo, Ohio. (laughs) Midwest. I mean, in terms of cultural differences, we couldn't be more different, right? Uh, So there's there's the created difference. There's the difference result of God's sovereignty. The third thing is He's a savior. He just doesn't bring us along at the same time. Husbands and wives are never at the exact same level of Christian maturity and Christian growth. Hmm. And so we have inescapable differences that will always be there in our marriage, because even in the way that God matures us, he doesn't mature us in a way that violates his creative wisdom. So I don't I will always be Paul. I will always have the personality of Paul. I will always have the gifts of Paul. Hopefully, I will mature, and the expression of that personality and the expression of that gift, those gifts will be better and different and more loving. So, it yeah, will never work in marriage to try to rise to the throne of Creator and recreate that person in my image. Hmm. it never, it'd never work, because that's actually not first. problem between me and my spouse. That's a problem between me and my creator.
0: That's really powerful, I think, in the context of parenting, where you and Luella came from very different places. On paper, it looks like my husband and I had very similar upbringings, both sets of parents married for over 50 years, both dads professionals, both had four kids, all very similar. But then when we bring kids into the family, there's differences on how things should be done. And originally, it was kind of like, I plowed over him and said, well, I've read all the books. We're going to do it my way and have come to grow in my maturity to realize the gifts that he brings from his background. And I I missed out on for years because I kind of thought I'm I'm the one home the most with them. I'm the one reading the most. And so I always kind of guide moms that I talk to that are new moms to Recognize the gift of the difference their spouse brings to the table to not think, well, there's only this one way and we have to fit this one formula that together you each bring a different a perspective that's a gift to your family as a whole.
1: You're saying such beautiful things. I've been <laughs> applauding as you're talking because <laughs> there's so much wisdom in just those few sentences. First of all, we have to stop making those differences a matter of right and wrong. Right. Dualistic, if yeah. it's If it's not named as sin by God, then it's just a difference. Mm. And and God actually glories in those differences because those differences point to his grandeur mm. as a creator. So we can't make it a matter of right and wrong. They're just different ways of approaching things. So that means the goal is not to turn this person into me. Because mm. if I tell myself this is the right way, then I can't tolerate it being done a different way. So I have to get rid of that and just say, we're different. And they're not a matter of right and wrong. And I have no ability whatsoever to recreate you. Mm. It just won't work.
0: And I miss miss out on the gift of you if I do.
1: So you're anticipating the next time I'm going to (laughs) say, how has God meant to position us next to one another in a way that benefits us both? Right. That grows us that shakes us out of our comfortable way of doing things, that helps us to grow in our wisdom. Listen, my wife is much more given to mercy than I am. She's more naturally compassionate than I am. She has social skills that just blow my mind. You know, my way's not the right way. Mm. And I've been put next to this person for a reason. Is that always easy? No, it's not, because you're confronted with those differences sometimes in what seems like ridiculously inefficient moments. (laughs) But I don't want to just look at the snapshot of those tough moments. I want to look at the video and say, how has God been working to grow us as we become witnesses to a very different way of doing the same thing? It's really a beautiful thing. It's not an easy thing, but it's a beautiful thing. My hope is that people listening would be able to say in 10 years from now, here are several ways that I've grown, I've matured, I've become wiser, I've become a more well-rounded human being because I've been a witness to this person that is different than me. Mm. And they're just inescapable. Because God is creator, sovereign, and savior, we will not ever be the same. And even when Paul and Luella are fully formed into the image of Jesus, we will still be Paul and Luella.
0: Such helpful perspective. I know marriages can be hard the first year, maybe hard if you're experiencing a major life shift, and to keep that long term perspective in mind is super helpful. Uh, I know you're the father of four and the grandfather of two and you get the massive life shift of bringing the first child home and a lot of my Mm -hmm. listeners have experienced that. We've talked about getting rid of some of those weeds and bad habits but what are some healthy habits we can implement either before or after that massive life change of children in a marriage?
1: You know that whenever I think of healthy habits I think of the fruit of the spirit I think that that character list that's laid out there you could not ask for a more helpful list of the good things to commit yourself to in marriage Hmm. and what I like about that list is I have no ability to turn myself into that kind of person
0: by willpower I will be more patient
1: kind of thing I I won't yeah (laughs) but they're called the fruit of the spirit because Jesus shed his blood so that we would have the potential to be these kind of people. And God's spirit now lives inside of me. God knew that between the already of my conversion and the not yet of my home going, I would still have struggle inside of me. And so he literally unzipped me and got inside of me by his spirit so that there's help available to me. Hmm. So I get up in the morning and I pray, God, help me today to be a person of love. And then I think, what does that mean? Where does my husband, for example, where is he discouraged? Where does he feel alone? Where is he overwhelmed? How can I enter into the real life of this man with love and encouragement and grace and and hope? Lord, help me to be that person. Help me to find those opportunities. Mm -hmm. How how about uh, joy? if you would ask what the DNA of joy is, the DNA of joy is gratitude. You will notice that complainers never have joy. <laughs> you don't go to a complainer for joy. Grateful people are joyful people. So I want to ask the question, how can I be, just be more grateful in my marriage? Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, if you're a husband and your wife does most of the unattractive menial tasks around the house, she'll wash your underwear that you don't even want to touch when you take them off because of the level of their toxicity. (laughs) Uh, Why would you take that for granted? Mm. How about sending online ordering flowers, surprising with flowers one day with a note that says, you do unattractive, rather despicable menial tasks every day to make my life work. I love you. I'm thankful for you. I'm so thankful That you're in my life. Hmm. How beautiful is that? that? That's just being joyful. Or if you're a wife and whether you work or not, but your husband has been a hardworking man for many years. Every day he gets up and he works for the welfare of your family. How about sticking a note in his lunch or his briefcase or his book bag or whatever that says, we have been blessed every day by your willingness to work. And that has meant our family has had things that we wouldn't have had without you. I don't want to take that for granted. I want to tell you how much joy it gives me to say, you're my husband. Mm. And we have some security because of your willingness to work. I mean, think of this, these examples I've given. Think if you begin to look around and say, where can I be grateful? The kind of changes that begins to make in the way that you think about one another.
0: Right.
1: Do you know what? People are grateful for grateful people, right? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're attractive to be around. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, in, they're endearing. How about peace? How about being willing to make peace and not war? How about who cares if your husband holds his fork like a baboon? Why fight over that? It doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. No one's ever going to be harmed by that. Let it go yeah. and make peace. So what if the other person always mispronounces that word? Why let that irritate you? Hmm. It's a normal human foible. Let it go. It's not worth fighting over. Or so what if they, whenever they tell a story, they get it mixed up and just drive you so crazy and you want to interrupt. I mean, all those instincts are in all of us. Look for ways to make peace rather than make war. Let go of all that little stuff that's just not worth fighting over. Or patience. How about giving the person the willingness to wait? You know, you could just go through that list and you can see how absolutely it maps onto how a good marriage needs to operate.
0: Well, and if there's you know, we talked about I'm willing to change things, but he's not really focusing on his selfishness, that aspect of of the toxic habits perhaps a, a place to start if you feel like you've weeded in your side of the garden. That do you develop some of those uh, healthy habits on your part and see the change that may happen in a spouse. I, you mentioned a lot of little things like the way he holds the fork. And um, I was watching Parks and Rec last night and this couple that's been married 50 years, she was annoyed. He said, ah, after he drank a glass of water. <laughs> uh, but But there are some, a lot of women reaching out to me with significant marriage issues that I don't want to make light of the fact that they're in a desperate place, whether it's um, just affairs are so common and accepted at this point. And, and And I heard an amazing TED talk on uh, the shame of staying in a marriage after an affair, that actually the community is like, well, now is your chance to get out. So this deciding to reconcile, but the trust has been broken and um, maybe needing a word on how to get rid of some toxic habits after that trust has been uprooted. And it could be the affair of porn addiction. That's an affair of the heart. And so we have these trust issues in marriages. And so I know we, we're we running close on the end of our time. We've already passed our time probably, but I just feel like it's such a, a needed conversation if we could spend a little time on that.
1: Yeah, So, so I can't answer all of what you just asked, but I wanna say this, my ability to trust you To say, I think we can be on the other side of this devastation is not first rooted in you. It's rooted in my trust of God Mm. that I know that there's somebody who was walking with me through this moment who a promises me that he is with me and he's not leaving. And B, he has the power to do in this other person what I don't have the power to do and so i can try again not because i'm sure of where that will go but because i'm sure of what who my lord is and what he offers me
2: Hmm.
1: in the in that moment and so then i i begin to ask the specific question what is it going to look like for us to rebuild trust yeah and part of that is going back to our previous conversation saying What are the elements that work together to bring us to this point? And how can we launch ourselves into a different direction? Now, here's what I would say. I think this is very important for me to say. This is why your marriage shouldn't live in isolation. It should live inside of the larger body of Christ and the larger world of help that's available. If you've been through the devastation of adultery, you may need a good, wise Christian counselor to help you to ask the question, how do we get to this devastating point and what do we need to do to be on the other side? Mm. Don't let shame keep you from benefiting from the amazing resources that God has offered you. The church exists because we need help. Mm. And there have been so many, Lowell and I look back, there are so many voices in our lives that have helped shape who we are and what our marriage is like and the way we did our parenting. And if you let shame put you into hiding, then you won't get the help. It's hard to be objective when you're so hurt. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to be critical when you're so hurt. It's hard not to be self-righteous when you're the offended party. You need help, get help. And, And God has offered his help. He's created his community so that we don't have to live in separation and isolation
0: absolutely and i'll point people to an episode we did uh sinners married to sinners actually you said that earlier and i giggled because that's the title of the episode um a friend of mine sharing about her journey through uh, reconciled marriage after adultery and mm. cheryl scruggs who's a counselor and sharing her own story as well so y'all check that out if that's part of your your journey
1: i love jeff and cheryl mm, and If you need help, they are a great resource. Yeah,
0: definitely. Oh my goodness. Okay, Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I'm going to point everyone to this online conference that you're hosting that they could get access to and either watch live or um, I think this episode will go on after. So they'll get access to it afterwards on the habits of a healthy marriage. What can we be praying for you?
1: Two things are always because of, I now have a damaged body that God would give me the strength to do what He's called for me to do. Mm. But the thing that always comes to mind first that God would just give me the grace to live in my private world what I teach. Yeah. I know I'm not done yet. I know there are inconsistencies still in me. And I wanna I wanna live everything I teach. I am very, very aware at this point in marriage, in, in my ministry, that it's easier to teach it than to live it.
0: Mm. Well, I appreciate that honesty and humility and uh, seeking God for shrinking to and swelling to the places, the right size of your life and who he is and and knowing that tension that's there. So we we truly appreciate you and taking time today. Have a great rest of your week. You too. Remember, if you want more from Paul, you can check out his four session marriage conference that you can break up into different sections, there's a study guide. It's for small groups and Sunday school classes and individuals. Over at don't forward slash marriage. Use that code five off to get five dollars off. Oh, I know this brings up so much in you. And with if you're listening to this on the week of Valentine's Day, first of all, it's crazy, right? There are so many things to do if you have kids in school, especially with parties and Writing out all the Valentine's cards. It's crazy. I mean, they're they're doing the writing, but you're doing the supervising. But maybe it's it's really hard because you're desiring and expecting a love and you're not experiencing that in your day-to-day. And I want you to know God loves you so much. I'm not saying that lightly. God loves you so much. And that's what Paul's pointing us to. We can't show grace and mercy to those around us if we don't grasp how God loved us just as we are. He didn't say, clean up your act, get it all together, and then I'm going to love you. He loved us just as we are. And not only that, sent his most precious son to die for us so we could be with him forever. He wants to be with you forever. And that belief in who Jesus is, that he is God and he is man, and he did take all of your sin and all of the junk to the cross and dealt with it forever. To believe that is such freedom and believing that mercy. I pray that that love overflows and it pours out from you to all the people you interact with this week. That Valentine's isn't just a day with some cards and some candy, but it's a way of living, living loved. that You truly grasp how loved that your kids know how loved because they see that you're absorbing the love of God first. That's God-centered mom stuff. You know, that was my old name, God-centered mom stuff, in that we are so centered in God's love that, that we're not doing the motherhood thing so that we can get trophy kids and awards and gold stars and PTA recognition. It's coming from a place of knowing how loved we are and showing that to our kids. On our spouse, and freeing them from the burden of having to be God for us. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. Lord, I bless this listener that she or he would be overwhelmed by your love in this moment, that she or he would know how wide, how deep your love is, that there is nothing that can separate them from your love, that your perfect love casts out all fear, whatever fear is trying to entrap them. I bless your perfect love over them right now in this moment, wherever they are. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name. I am so thankful for you guys. I met a couple of you at the If Gathering this last weekend, and it brought me such, such joy to see your faces, for your encouragement, Uh, just humbling, 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 humbling to get to see you face-to-face, know that you are walking this journey right alongside me, And thank you for sharing on Instagram and all the places. And y'all are just so generous with how you help other moms and encourage them to walk with God. And so thank you for that. You can follow along over at Don't Mom Alone, either on Instagram or Facebook. If you want to join a community, if you are looking for that, you can always check it out at don'tmomalone.com forward slash join. There are two options. There are the podcast clubs and there's the Not Alone community. You can find out more there. You can always ask me questions if you have those questions. Thank you all. We have more good stuff coming up in the, in the next few weeks. Can't wait to share it with you. All right. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, he said when he left, he was gonna leave a helper, a comforter to be with us, God in us. Moms, that is super power. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.